welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. If you were here last week, you know this. We have some special friends who are watching online, and those are the wonderful people at The Well. Uh, this is a church in Toronto area, different locations in Toronto, that's actually with us for this teaching series. They actually are a church that's thinking about the question that we're wrestling with in this series, which is the idea of how do we share about God's love in a time where the old ways of sharing just don't connect anymore. And I was thinking about the name of the sermon and I was trying to think about how to frame the challenge and all that kept coming to mind is how do we share without shaming? And I don't know if you, you had this experience in your life, like years ago I think about learning about God and I remember so many of the feelings that I sometimes got when somebody was telling me about God was either connected to a sense of guilt, of punishment, or it was very, very confusing and I'm like, I don't even understand what this person's talking about. Uh, or, or for maybe for some of you, you had negative experiences with church and what we're learning is many people who have no experience with church. More and more, there's people whose first really connection with the story of God is like Netflix or YouTube or like something in culture, which is not always something positive. Uh, so we wanted to think about something that the Bible takes so seriously, that anyone who experiences this good news about Jesus healing their lives, Jesus transforming their inner life to see the world in a new way. The Bible uses the language of us being able to see in new ways in new ways, that we would be stirred to share that with others, and yet we feel like we're stuck. And so we call the series The End of Evangelism, and some people are like, oh, you know, what does that mean? It's like the end of the old ways of articulating the story of Jesus. And I think for many of us, that can be scary, or for some people that I know, that's like, I don't care, I'm still gonna do it the way I've always done it. You know, and I'm gonna tell people the truth, and I don't care, you know, post stuff online and all that stuff. You know what, that maybe is not the wisest approach between me and you. But I'm so happy that there's a church that's watching with us because they care about something that we feel in a very unique way here in Quebec. Quebec has for years wrestled with, and this kind of space has been kind of a learning space for many people, not just Christians. Sociologists, philosophers, different thinkers have wondered, like, what happened in the history of this province that we find ourselves in? Actually, one of the statistics that I read as I was preparing this week comes from this article, and this is what they said about just Quebec in particular. About 40 churches in Quebec uh, fall out of use each year, often because dwindling congregations can no longer pay the bills. 40 churches. I mean, this is a, a few years back, and I read this, and, and I thought about this, I was reading this article and thinking about the feeling of this series. I remember talking to someone in my family who I love and not really interested in church or God, you know, sharing with them that we might start like a new community, like a new church. For those of you who are watching from The Well, The 180 is about seven years old. It's kind of a newer community that we were part of, we kind of planted. And I remember sharing this with somebody that I care about and they said to me, does Quebec really need more churches? They were like, really? Like there's enough churches and almost news like this to them would be good news. Like it's good that we have less churches because religious people are annoying. Church people are annoying and everybody said? Amen, Amen. all right. So <laughs> like we, we, we are understood as being like strange, awkward, people don't understand. Sometimes we're confrontational at the wrong times. All these things and what's really, really strange is over the years, not only do you have people in the culture who don't know what they think about church or how to feel, there's actually people in the church that no longer care that the churches are closing. 
There's more and more people in the church that are like, whatever, being together in community, I'm just gonna figure it out myself and hang out. And, and we have all of these words that we use. So one of the things we wanna do together is to say, God, help us to pay attention to something that really grieves you. That whenever your people stop believing and understanding that we are called to gather together and to learn, to share about this goodness of God with others, you help us and you listen and you're with us. And we're gonna have to do this in ways we've never done it before. We're gonna need completely new categories. Now, I have some good news before you get all like, I'm all sad. I didn't come to church to be sad. I thought church was about positivity. Okay, it is sometimes, okay? Uh, I wanna tell you that the challenge we have is a challenge that Christians have had from the beginning of the story of our faith. What we're learning to do is something that all of the followers of Jesus from the beginning of this story have always had to do, which is think carefully about how to talk about it and how to share and how to live with many people who don't believe what we believe or who don't believe what, what Christians believed. We're always sharing in spaces with different people. You know this. You work with people or work for people or in school with people who just don't believe what we believe. And so being present and listening and caring, and especially I think of many of us who have kids who are younger, they're gonna have so many questions about the faith. Maybe for some of you, this series is gonna help you to understand why maybe your kids are feeling that they're done with church and faith. That's what we hope happens. There's a new awareness, right? And one of the passages that I always think about comes from a person called Peter. And this is what he says. It's like a beautiful passage. If you don't really remember much about this series, think about this passage. This is what Peter says. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense, and some translations say give an answer, which I think is better, to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that it is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Isn't it beautiful? I mean, I didn't grow up in a church where I learned this, by the way. I, I remember reading the Bible and learning about the Bible, and I'm like, what is it? This isn't the Bible? Yeah, this isn't the Bible from somebody who likely saw Jesus do this every day who remembers Jesus talking to people who didn't believe in him, people who were tired of the injustice of religion, people who were tired of the, the, just the, the abuses of structures of religion that were happening in the Bible times. And Jesus came to them in gentleness and in respect. Now the King James Bible is a translation of our Bible that we have. It actually uses the word being prepared to give an answer. I, I like that so much better. It's actually a better word than to make a defense. Because the word defense makes us feel like we're on the defensive. And there's a lot of people, you know, that, that you'll meet sometimes as the world is changing. Maybe you felt this as the world changes. You feel more defensive. Like, how do we defend what we believe? Like, what if somebody asks me a hard question? Like, how do I tell them that they're wrong and I'm right in a nice way? That's not what Peter really says to do. He says, one, pay attention to the fact that some people will need an answer and what they will need to feel first from your interaction is this hope that you have in Jesus. They're not gonna need all the answers to all the doctrinal questions of the Christian faith, and there are many, but the first thing that really helps people start to understand what is happening in this story that we share with others is hope. And, and this beautiful, there's two words here that I want you to kind of pay attention to if, if you remember this. It says, I want anyone to give an answer to anyone asked for you for a reason for the hope. Okay, for so many years, I learned this strange thing. Maybe you learned this, that you're either someone who's reasonable or you're either someone who has hope. 
And over the years, churches have actually developed a whole system of being almost anti-academic, anti-intellectual, anti-reason to think about how we think about our faith. If you weren't here yesterday morning or you're not aware of some of the learning we've been doing, I want to remind you that the next generation we're engaging with is going to be the most educated generation in the history of our time. If you think you're going to talk with them by just like a feeling of hope that you got one day when you were like walking in the woods and hope that connects them to the good news of Jesus somewhere, you're, you're mistaken. Actually, Peter almost is aware of this and he says, no, no you're going to need a reasonable way to talk about this kind of hope. It's actually holding together the feelings of this hope in Jesus. And in Christianity, remember this, hope is not just a feeling. It's an awareness and a discipline that God is at work in ways beyond our understanding sometimes. And that reason plays a part. There's a reasonable way that we can talk about what's been happening and what's been going on. This is one important value that we really want to model here. So maybe you're listening, you're here, you're watching online, and you're like, I have all of these questions about science or the world or the environment and all these things, and I'm not sure. Like, I thought like the church and Christianity didn't care about those things. Not when you read the Bible. Not when you understand that the earliest Christians were learning how to be respectful and gentle as they articulated this hope. Now, I think of times in my life where I was not the most hopeful person. Maybe you had a week like that. Maybe you've had a month like that. Like if people met me, they wouldn't think there's a hopeful person. They think like there's an angry person. They think there's an annoying person. Some of you are like, yeah, I might be married to them. Okay, whatever. I'm just saying, we have classes for that, don't worry. But uh, I'm just saying that this doesn't mean we're called to be perfect. That doesn't mean we're pretend hopeful. Just be positive, just be happy around people. Pretend to be happy like when people come over to your house and you have kids, you know? Just make it look like we love each other. And then they leave, you're like, I'm gonna kill you, you know? That's not what this means. Hope is honesty in the pain and the questions and the challenges because there's a way of being hopeful even when things feel broken. Jesus has a way of doing this because Jesus found a way to always meet people when they felt broken and after he was done being with them, they felt a sense of something had changed. There was like a new hope. And so as Peter writes this, he says, I think about Jesus, I think about his gentleness and his respect. When you learn to be gentle, you become a good listener. And when you learn to be respectful, you become a good learner. We're gonna need a whole new approach, which is a deep commitment to listening and learning from those who've been hurt by this context, by church and faith and the Bible and religion and all those things. And let me tell you, your natural instinct will be to get defensive. Let me show you about the Bible says about, Sometimes it's just a, a, just a patience, saying like, explain that to me. Help me understand that. And one of the things I wanna do this morning is I wanna talk to you about this good news that God provides for us the gift to be able to be these kinds of people. God is the one that helps us and teaches us to be gentle and respectful. Now, if you don't believe in this, being gentle and, you know, and respectful is just good qualities in general. Like, if you hire somebody who's gentle and respectful, you're, you're doing good. Customer service through the roof, right? I, I'm just saying, so th there is that part of like just those attitudes in our culture. But I wanna just show you how God's provision for us helps us think about gentleness and respect in a way that connects to the story of sharing 
Years ago, there was this phrase, maybe I heard my boys kind of using it in our house, which is like sharing is caring. Anyone ever hear that, sharing is caring? Okay, some of you did. Some of you are like, I got a tattoo of that. Okay, sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> sharing is caring works as long as it has to do with faith. Right, because there's a new sense that the next generation says, we don't want you to share about that stuff. We've had enough of that. And a few years ago, uh, there was an article that was done, and in December, I sent this to our elders to read kind of about how some of the changes going on in our culture so we could feel this as leaders. And this is one of the, the studies that Alpha did with the, another organization. This is what they said. It's really fascinating. It says this, the 46-48% of church leaders who work with children and youth say that it is wrong to share one's faith with someone. Just let this sink in. That not only is it fine for us to believe whatever, but sharing, keep that to yourself when it comes to your faith. This is what's happened. This is the new world we live in, and you know what? Some of it is our fault. Because we have not modeled the kind of sharing that's shaped by gentleness and respect and kindness, the way Peter talks about it. But a whole generation has seen sharing shaped by selfishness, sharing sh shaped by self-promotion, sharing shaped by anger and trying to win, all that kind of stuff. So for the next little while we have together, let's just talk about sharing shaped by those who are spirit-filled. Let's do that. Let's see how the Bible redefines sharing. And if we can hold this together, we'll see how, he, how God does this, and he invites us to long for this. To understand this, you need to know that the Jewish people in the Bible had this wonderful festival. It happened shortly after Passover, and it was a festival of God's provision. If you, if you wanna just think about this, it was a festival that reminded them that they celebrated that God provided for them. And you'll see the slide here with some passages. Just go to the slide before this one, bud. It, it just, the book of Acts, and the book of Exodus, if you have a Bible, you wanna read this in more in depth, shape this celebration. It was one of the celebrations that the Jewish people had that required that they step out of their comfort zone and go to Jerusalem, okay? I know for some of us, we're like, how little can I move? Can I connect online? Can I do this at a distance? No, no. there were some festivals in this Hebrew story that required that people actually went to a different location. They actually saw other people, and this was this wonderful celebration that we call the Festival of Pentecost. Okay, and it's such a beautiful celebration. It was a wonderful time where they celebrated that God had provided for them wisdom on how to live. Now, I'll tell you a big Bible word, for those of you who wanted, is God had given them the law. So they remembered that celebration that not only did God free them, which is the Passover festival, that God set them free and now God was going to form them as a certain kind of people, right? This is very important. It's not just like I'm free to do whatever I want. As I've been set free and now I'm gonna be formed in the ways of God. And as that happens, other people will see that God is at work in our lives. This was this great festival. And so fast forward, if you wanna think of this in the Bible, that after the story of Jesus, and after his resurrection, the Jewish people are again preparing for this festival. And in the book of Acts, we actually have the story and it's called, it's kind of should be called the festival of Pentecost, but oftentimes in your Bible it just says the day of Pentecost, which I don't really like, because it's not just a day, okay? It's like a massive festival and I'm into parties, so party people? What's up, party? Okay, more parties. The Bible's full of parties, I never got that in church. So I'm telling you, tell your friends, churches about parties and they're like, we're coming, let me tell you, I'm, bring my own wine, okay? Bring that, bring everything. Lots of parties in the Bible. 
The Jewish people, I'll party us any day. Pentecost. They're going to celebrate this wonderful thing. And they remembered that Jesus says, before you're able to share about the things I showed you, you're going to need to go to Jerusalem and wait there. And by this beautiful God's grace, what God is about to provide them with is going to align with the celebration of Pentecost. It's going to align so that they understand that not only did God provide law, which he did, but God was about to provide something much, not much more powerful, but added to just the law is the filling of this power of the Holy Spirit. A provision that they would need to be able to share with gentleness and what? And respect. You know, sometimes we can confuse this and many of the people who think they're spirit-filled are the least respectful. Yeah, I said it. Some of the people who claim that they're most filled with the spirit are the least gentle. They've understood like the spirit of God as being, we're gonna win, conquer, tell people off, offend people. One of my mentors used to say, the story of Jesus might be offensive, but you don't have to be offensive. Which is true. When people hear the story, they might be like, oh, this bothers me, I'm not sure. But we should be gentle and respectful and ready to talk about the hope that comes into our lives as we are formed by the way God has to provide. So if you're taking notes, I want you to remember that there's this festival and then it happens. The most mysterious thing that could ever happen in the story of the Christian faith. That all of a sudden, as people are in this room praying and waiting, we're told, I'm not gonna read it all, and I'm just gonna tell you very quickly, we're told that it's like there's a wind that starts to blow, and then they feel that their, their words are starting to change, and they start to speak in these other languages, and they're saying what we would all be saying. What the heck is going on, bro? Anyone? 100%. I'd be like, okay, what's, this, this is crazy. I have questions, I'm confused, I'm kinda scared. People are gonna be confused. They sense this. And so if you move through the story, you realize that now we're about to get some explanation about what's been happening. And this is what we're told. It's so beautiful. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. Remember, they're there for the festival. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. What a good word. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our tongue. Can you imagine that the provision that is, has been given to them, this provision of speaking in languages, is actually, first of all, not for them. It's for others, and they realize that other people are hearing the greatness and the goodness of God in a language that they understand. This is the most beautiful part of this story that if we had time, I would explain to you, it got lost a long time ago. That for many of us, we've missed that the, the kind of sharing that's shaped by people who are spirit-filled comes from this place and an awareness that we want other people to hear about how great God is in a language they what? They understand. And let me tell you, we are great in speaking in language that nobody understands. Our songs, the way we teach from the Bible, people are like, I don't understand what you guys are talking about. Why is there a cross on the stage? That's weird, right? Like, people are like, what does this all mean? So if you're taking notes, can I just, just write this down? This will help you. You'll see it on the screen, okay? That those who are spirit-filled shared of God's wonders in a language people could understand. This is like the first awareness that God's like, I provided the law. 
Now I'm providing the Spirit. You're going to need the Spirit to pay attention to how to speak in a language other people understand. And this is even beyond you. It's, it's happening almost like a supernatural thing. And the people in the story are like, this is so weird. I don't remember these people speaking this language before. Like they're just from like Galilee. Like, and just think about it. It's like they're just from Juliet. I don't know. They're just from a region. If you're from Juliet, we're so happy you're here. But it's just, it's just like you're like... I was going to say Lorraine, but whatever. Those people are like, we're too fresh, fresh there. So it's like, you guys understand? Like, you're spe- I understand this for the first time. Now, the biblical text reminds us that these are languages that people could hear. I just want to just push just a little bit further, okay? That we're going to have to understand a new language of our culture that's been shaped by a digital age, okay? Nobody in the Bible's thinking about texts. Nobody in the Bible's thinking about social media. Nobody in the Bible is thinking about what sociologists, philosophers are saying is that there's a new language that's emerged with people that are shaped by a digital generation. All of our kids are digital natives. They will never not know what it looks like for your phone to be plugged into a wall. Like, they will never know that. And if you show them pictures, they'll be like, what the heck's wrong with you people? Right? There's all of this new language, and I don't just mean words of like a written language. It's, it's a language of complex communication and interaction. For any young person in this room, if you're a youth or a young adult, I think of many of them on the other side of our space. I think of some of you watching online, and if you're a young person, let me just tell you, we're gonna need you in the church more than ever because we're gonna need your help to understand the language that makes most sense to you when we talk about the hope of Jesus. And many of us are too old to know it. Just trust me. Like, I think about, like, just my kids, and I say things, and they're like, that just makes no sense, that's so dumb. I'm like, oh my goodness, okay, I have to think about this again. Being spirit-filled is this awareness of saying that God has always provided his people with this ability to share in languages, to, to hear and be attentive, that we're learning a language so that we can point people not to ourselves, but to the greatness of God, and how his hope has transformed our lives. This is so important in a world that's seen sharing primarily as something selfish. Oh, you want me to come to your church because you collect money? You know how many times I've heard that? Oh, you want me to come to church, right? Yeah, because you're going to brainwash me. Anyone? That's not what this is about. Is that we want new language to articulate the goodness of God to a new generation. And from the beginning of this story, Jesus has provided what his people have needed. Spirit-filled people do this. That it should grieve us when we don't do this because in a sense, we're grieving what the Holy Spirit is doing. So we're learning how to do this. And can I just tell you that one of the greatest blessings that we experience today without even thinking about it that's built on this truth is we have a Bible in English and in French and in other languages. You know what it means, the sacrifice that people made to say, we have to translate like this good news in a way that people can read it and understand it. Why would we not take the same energy and translate that for a broken world? Why would we not do that? It doesn't happen when we see the Holy Spirit as something primarily selfish for ourselves. When spirit-filled people do not trust the Holy Spirit to do this in us, sharing becomes a country club. That we look for people that are like us to hang out with. Churches like Country Club. Oh yeah, I know that. You know those people? And there's all these inner words that we use and everybody's like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. And it doesn't bother anybody. 
Not at this church. Not on our watch. It's going to bother us if somebody shows up and says, this is brand new. The greatest joy I have is being with people who've never held a Bible and they're like, how do I find the chapters or how do I find where the, like, how do I find, I'm like, this is amazing, it's so great, let me just show you. Just to celebrate that people have questions and they're just, our language doesn't translate, but the good news. The Holy Spirit comes and he provides this wisdom. And look what happens next, it's so profound. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Some translations say they're just drunk, which is better. Just a good, a good punch. That right away, the people are like, this is so crazy. Like, they partied way too much. For sure, they're drunk. Years ago, I used to be a pastor on a university campus, and I remember students showing up at church sometimes, walking at an angle. I'm like, hey, bro, right here, stay with me struggling to think about their lives, drinking too much the night before, wanting to experience hope, not sure because they had a lot of questions. And you see this in the Bible that already Jesus is providing, the Spirit is providing you language, but not everybody understands right away. They're still very confused. They're unaware. And we get a chance to say, God, would you do something special that you're about to do in this text, which is so profound. I'm gonna have just Marius come up on the keys, but I just wanna explain this to you, that the second point of what spirit-filled people do, and this, this will help you, those who are spirit-filled develop the sensitivity to address misunderstanding right away. Like, I would've been like, oh, you know, you just believe that we're drunk because you're not one of us. You just believe that we're drunk because you're not Jews. You fill in the blank. You just believe that we're drunk because you're not elect. You just, you want to add, add, oh, you don't just believe you're drunk because you're from another province. But Peter, who's there, Peter, who, remember, gentleness and respect, right away, he responds, this is what he says. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you, these people are not drunk. Right away. Hey, 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 I get a sense that you guys are confused. I get a sense that this is really too much. Let me just, it's too much for us too. We're just, we're just following Jesus, it's crazy. And in the next few chapters, you're gonna have the first sermon that's preached as the church has begun. The first sharing of this good news in new language with explanation. And so how do we become people who become more sensitive than ever at the misunderstandings? at the confusion, at the fact that sharing doesn't mean caring anymore for people. Sharing feels like you're here to shame me. You're here to tell me I'm wrong. You're here to tell me I'm not holy enough. You're here to tell me I'm not like you. We're gonna need a whole new approach. But you remember the good news? Jesus has always been doing this. He's always been teaching his people to do this. Especially as we become super sensitive to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. For some of you, maybe this has to do with rethinking your conversations with your kids. Rethinking how you approach a conversation with a coworker. Remembering that there's a way of being hopeful and that's also reasonable and aware that people take time to make sense of things. As we wrap up this morning, and I, I just wanna share a story that has to do with all of these cups. And some of you at the well are gonna experience this as well. And Pastor Vijay, who's the pastor of the well, was with me when this story took place. 
A few weeks ago, I was in London, England, and we were at this conference. And at one point in the conference, this elderly lady walked up with a translator. And she would have been maybe in their mid-70s, if I remember correctly. Frail lady walked to the front. And we were told as she came out that we were not allowed to take pictures of the event or audio or video of her being on stage. And I remember I was there with my wife and I'm like, we are about to get blasted like we've never seen. And she came up with a translator and she shared and her story is complex but beautiful that she had escaped North Korea a few times to get out of such a rigid culture that we can't even imagine. You know, like we use words like, oh, it's so rigid here, we have no idea. And she had escaped and spies had found her when she was in China and they brought her back to North Korea multiple times. And she remembers like early on hearing a little bit about the story of this Jesus guy. She really have all the details, but she kept having little examples of people modeling that there was this Jesus guy who gave people hope. And she found herself in prison. Some of the most horrible things she talked about, about being in this prison with women. Part of it she tried to escape, part of it, you know, being a Christian is illegal. All of these tensions are all happening in the story. She's sharing this. We're trying not to cry, and we're like thinking, I had a bad day because my coffee sucks. Like, and I'm thinking, what is happening right now? And she remembers saying that she had a dream while she was in prison, that Jesus was saying to her she was gonna start a church in the prison. Obviously, if this has ever happened to you, I don't know if you're discerning God's voice, you're like, it's hard to kind of know when you're hearing God's voice. So if you're like me, probably like her, she's like, this is probably, I'm just tired, and I, this is not from God, forget that. And she kept sensing that God says, you're gonna do this. But she said, how am I gonna do this? The guards are here. How am I gonna share about your love when we're all in this horrible situation? And she sensed these quiet moments of God saying to her, you're gonna begin this in the prison, in the prison bathroom that you have, because it smells so bad that the guards never come. I'm like, that's genius. That's spirit-filled right there, let me tell you. So she does this. She starts going to the section of the, of the prison that has a bathroom. She starts just sharing, and, and after a while, the story is that she, uh, some people started to keep, guard, keep watch of a guard, and she just gently shared and listened. She cried. And then she told us the most profound thing. She said to us that she knew that she needed to show others that she was gonna sacrifice something so that they would understand about how special Jesus was. And every day they would get a cup with corn in it to eat, just whatever. She remembers one day God saying to her, I want you to start sharing half of your cup of corn with people in the prison. So that would give you a chance to talk, to share, to listen. I'd be thinking, okay, I need the full cup of corn for me. But she's like, God will provide. He has provision we know not of. She began to share half of her corn. And a little church started in this community. She's at this conference sharing with us, and we're trying to hold back the tears. And I'm like, God has always been at work at helping people share from this deep place of joy and sacrifice. It's happening everywhere around the world. It needs to happen here again, in a new way, in the way the Bible talks about it, with gentleness and respect and awareness, sensitivity, caring about language. If you're watching at the well, we hope you do this, but one of the things we're gonna invite you to do today is as you leave, it was a weird morning because of our race and some other things, but as you leave, we want each to come up and just grab one of these cups. I want, to I want you to take it with you and put it somewhere, whether it's in your car, 
whether it's in your bathroom, whether it's on your desk, just leave it there. Just leave it there as a symbol of saying, God, I'm open to share of something that matters so much to me so that others would know that my hope is really in you first. I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do that is gentle and kind and listening and sensitive. If I should share something that I've been blessed with that I would rather hold on for myself, I will share.